All right, uh, everybody, my name is Dustin. Welcome to Revolution. Um, I got a few quick announcements for you guys, and then I will turn it over to Dave. So, um, actually, really, the only announcement we have is free market. So, that is coming up on this coming Saturday. So, we need volunteers for free market. Um, also, tomorrow night, starting around 6 o'clock here at the church, we're going to be sorting that big pile of donations um, so that people can go through it and find what they need. So if anybody wants to get involved with that, find me, Kelly, Dave, Steve, anybody you see here um, up here on stage. So other than that, it's really all I got for you guys tonight. So I'll pray and then get up and say hey to somebody. So, um, Father, I thank you for this time that you let us set aside to come together, um, to worship together, to learn together, um, just to enjoy each other's company. God, I ask that... Um, you're with us all tonight, and you allow us to hear what you want us to hear, to learn what you want us to learn. Um, be with Dave tonight as he brings the message. Um, all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go say hey to somebody. What's up, Revolution? Do it again. What's up, Revolution? That was the same three people. I can always hear my mom. I appreciate that. She supports me whenever none of you else, none of you do. Uh, God bless her for that. Um, who all, came, who all came out to my house last night? Like, raise your hand. Yeah. The rest of you who didn't, you wish you would have, right? Because I tell you this, there ain't no party like a revolution party. Because a revolution party, no one sticks around to help clean up whenever you're done. Um, that's how, I'm just kidding. I had some people ask me, to, ask me if I needed help. We didn't. Uh, but nah, I thought that would be too funny. Uh, but <laughs> We announced it to the church. What do you mean, thanks for the invite? We announced it for like two weeks. If you would come to church, Brandon. Um, for the record, you podcast people, that was my brother-in-law that I was yelling at. Um, uh, anyway, I'm glad you guys are here this evening as we round off this, uh, this sermon series we're in. We're going over the five solas. Um, it's these five core doctrines of Christianity, and we're rounding it out with, um, in my opinion, the, the two most important. Um, we're, we're rounding it out with faith alone in Christ alone. This is how we're saved. Um, and I'm excited to do this, right, because unless you didn't know this, yesterday... Uh, was the 498th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation's, like, beginning. Like, that was pretty awesome. Um, this monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 problems that he had with, like, the, the current Catholic Church to a door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. And here we are. Uh, and I love that guy. And none of you care. Uh, but I love history, and I have a microphone, and you have to listen to everything I have to say. Like the wedding singer. Um, some of you have never seen that flick, whatever. But i got three presuppositions before we start, um, and, and, and here they are. And if you disagree with them, that's totally cool, and I'd love to talk to you after the service and tell you why I think that these things are true. So I'm bringing three things to the table right off the bat. Um, the first one is this. I, I think that all people inherently know God is real. Regardless of what they say, I think that they know that to be true, that God, they know God exists. Um, the second thing is this. I think that because of that, we all know that we are going to have to give an account for our lives. Um, like, we, we have these, like, we, we feel like we ought to do certain things, and we ought not to do other things, and I think that's because we know that one day we're going to have to give an account for the things that we do, um, and the things that we have done wrong. Um, and again, and the third presupposition is this, we've all screwed up, and we all know we've screwed up. We've all done things that we ought not have done. Um, so keeping those three things in mind, right, on that last one, things we shouldn't have done, we'll, we'll call that sin, and we'll get into that a little bit more this evening, uh, but keeping those in mind... I would say that our lives uh, often view how, or often betray how we actually view God naturally, right? And, and here's what I mean. 
Um, anyone ever, everyone, <laughs> I've done this, this is fun. Um, you're at a party, and you do the most stereotypical thing you could ever do, and I did it in high school, I was like 17 years old. You bump into the guy with the red Solo cup full of beer, right? I mean, let's be honest here, we've all been to this party, or maybe not all of us, but I have. I'm the only one willing to admit that I've done dumb things. Um, and he's got the Solo cup, and you bump into him, right, and you spill beer on his shoes, Right? This doesn't get any more like classic movie than this. Right? And what do you do? Like, what's your natural instinct? Like, go get him another beer, right? And clean his shoes up, right? Go get a rag, clean it up, tell him you're sorry. I'm gonna fix this, right? At least that was what I wanted to do, because I didn't want to get beat down because um, I was complete wuss in high school. Um, and also I'm not condoning like underage alcohol consumption at all. I'm just being real, like I was an idiot when I was in high school. Um, and uh the second thing is this. Okay, so that's one example. Another one is this, and this is me personally again. Um, I was late for work last week, uh, which is really embarrassing for me because I work for my family, and they would just ride you like a mule for the rest of the day. And that's a play on words because I work at a place called Mule Town. Uh, yeah, I love puns. <laughs> but uh, so they just ride you about it, right? So I show up 10 minutes late to work, and I feel like an idiot, and I know that like, I'm going to get yelled at. So what do I do? I go in, I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry, and I spend all day just busting my tail, right? Like legitimately do twice as much work as I would normally do on any other day. Um, and, and, and why was I doing that? I was trying to make up for being late, right? I wanted to work extra hard, just like how you want to make up for spilling the beer on the guy's shoes and spilling his beer. You want to fix what you've done. Um, like, and that's because we, we never naturally expect the person that we have offended to fix what we messed up. That's never what we think. Right? Naturally, we think, I mess it up, I have to fix it, right? We have an I'll make it right kind of mentality, and it's completely normal for us. And we would say, usually, if you offended someone and you don't want to fix it, that you're probably a jerk. Um, but this mentality is, is apparent, and again, I, I think it, it, it betrays how we view God, because we see this kind of mentality in almost every single religion. Um, I would argue any religion that actually believes in like a, a, a God who judges with the exception of Christianity, but in all other religions, we see this. You've offended God, right? Like, you've bumped into him. You've knocked the beer out of his hand, if you'll allow me to say that about the Lord. Um, so you've offended God. You've sinned. You've done something that you shouldn't. And now you have to make it right, right? That's what all religions tell you, essentially, that you need to be good and you need to not mess up again. And then if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you'll be saved and God won't punish you because you were a good person. This is our default view of God. Um, that's what I would argue anyway, right? And I say that because whether or not you've been raised in church doesn't really matter. Because um, if I ask someone on campus, and this is a question I love to ask, and I recommend you do it if you don't care to like have a 20-minute conversation with someone probably kind of irritated, um, why do you think you're not going to hell? Like, that's a question that I'll ask someone once in a while. That's not my lead-off, just for the record. But, like, why do you think you're not going to hell? Because no one thinks they're going to hell, like not the majority of people anyway. Uh, and the answer is usually this, because I'm a good person. Right? Like, I volunteer some of my time. Uh, I try to help people out. Uh, if I see a homeless person, you know, I'll give them a couple bucks or go buy them dinner. Um, you know, whatever. Like, you know, or things that I don't do, right? Like, yeah, I just, I just really don't hurt anyone. I kind of keep to myself. So I think that I'm going to go to heaven. Um, this is what we're going to call works for the rest of the evening, right? If I refer to it. Um, this is what we call works. And we want to save ourselves by doing things. This is natural. Um, and, and we'll call that works salvation, that I'm going to make things right with God for myself, right? Um, I've offended him, so if I go the rest of my life and, and do, do really good things and good deeds that he commands us to do, right, and I'm really obedient to him, then I'll make up for the bad things that I've done. Um, we're going to fix what we've done by obeying God, right? Moral obedience, being good. Um, 
But the Bible tells us this, and this is, this is what we're talking about this evening, that God has made a completely different way for us to be saved. And it's the only way for us to be saved. Um, and he says that our thinking that we, that we can fix things is a complete sham, that we've lied to ourselves. And what he says that we're going to be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. All right? And whenever I say faith, I mean this. Right? A lot of people say, you've got to have faith, which has really like lost its sting uh, and like lost a lot of its meaning in our culture. Um, and so is the word believe. Right? So we say faith, well, it means you believe something. A lot of times we say like believe, like, yeah, I believe. Like I believe it in my head. Right? Like, um, how do I say this? Like, if I drop something, like, yeah, like, I believe it's going to fall to the ground because of gravity. I mentally assent to that. Or a good one like this. Um, I look at a chair, and I say, I believe it will hold me up. Right? Some of us, it's less, mm, like, I don't know. But, like, uh, it's got four legs. It's got a back. It's got a place for me to sit. I believe, as I'm inspecting it, that it would hold me up. Um, that's mental assent. But faith, whenever the Bible uses faith, is I'm going to trust God's promise about something. That's what faith is. Um, so if I believe that the chair is going to hold me up, like I mentally assent, it's a whole other thing to sit in it. Make sense? Like to trust it completely. That I'm going to put all my weight on it, and I trust that it's going to hold me up. It's no longer a mental assent, but I'm in the middle of it. I'm hoping in it. I'm putting all my trust in it. That's what faith is in the Bible. It's sitting in the chair, not just staring at the chair thinking, I think it's going to hold me up. So whenever we say faith, we mean believing God's promise. And whenever we say faith in Christ, we mean this, that Jesus himself, with his work, not our own, has secured our salvation. That he has secured our forgiveness from God for the things that we've done. So if we were going to have a thesis statement, right, because we've got some college students in here, and I dropped out after a year, but I remember what a thesis statement is. Uh, If we were going to have one of those, it'd be this. God says that we are saved by trusting his promise that Jesus saved us. That's what we're aiming at this evening. God says that we're saved by trusting his promise that Jesus has saved us. But that raises two really big questions for me, right? Um, One of them, because I'm a fairly rebellious little punk, Uh, The first one is is this. Um, What's the point of God's commands then? This is a legitimate question to ask. If God says, hey, you're going to be saved by trusting a promise that I'm going to make about Jesus. And not by obeying my commands. Why would you give us commands? Like anyone else ever, like anyone, like show of hands, anyone else ever wondered that? Like why would God give us commands then if it's not going to save us? Um, Why give them? And the second one is this. How does Jesus, living, dying, and rising from the dead, save me? Right? Like everyone always hears like, Jesus died for your sins, right? And I grew up hearing that all the time. And it wasn't until I became an atheist that like, I understood how much that that sentence doesn't make sense by itself. Right? Like I heard this atheist stand-up comedian say this, and I still think it's funny. You can think what you want. He said, uh, Jesus died for my sins. Like what's the connection there? That's like me saying like, hey, Ryan, I took a hammer to my foot for your mortgage. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Like where's the correlation here? And, and I still think that that's how the majority of people hear that sentence. Jesus died for your sin. What does that really mean? So how does Jesus' life, death, and coming back from the dead save anybody? Um, And we're going to answer those two questions. What's the point of God's commands, and why does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection save us? We're going to answer those, and then we're going to see why it matters for us. Um, So first, let's talk about God's commands, right? In the Old Testament, right, the Genesis through Malachi, the first half of the Bible, in the Old Testament, God gives hundreds of commands. Anyone ever read Leviticus and, like, not fell asleep? We can be honest here. 
right? No? Okay, a couple others, thank you. Um, see, that means the majority of you have fallen asleep trying, right? So, like, you don't know all the commands, right? There's, like, over 300 commands that God gives in the Old Testament um, about how we're supposed to live, about how we're supposed to treat other people, about how we're supposed to worship him. But instead of going through a list of, like, 315 or 316 commands, depending on which rabbi you ask, we're not going to do that. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, right? We're going to boil them down as hard as we can. Um, so I, I want to ask you this question. Has anyone ever obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly? No way, right? Like, let's just think about it real quick. Have you ever stolen anything? I have. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I've stolen some stuff. Um, Have you ever lied to somebody? Yeah, if you say you haven't, like, you're lying to me now. Uh, So there you go. You got that. Uh, So have you ever taken anything? You ever lied? Um, You ever had sex with someone that wasn't your wife? Now it's kind of getting dark. Um, Have you ever, all right, anyone ever obey their parents perfectly growing up? I didn't. That was the good times. Um, I didn't do that, right? And I know you guys didn't either because no child does. Um, we could go, again, that's just four, right? So we've established that no one can obey them even externally, right? Because we've all disobeyed externally. But, like, we can take it even deeper if you pass the test on those four, right? Jesus actually says if you do these things in your heart, that God says you've done them, right? So have you ever wanted to have sex with someone that, like, wasn't your wife? Like, you see him walking down the street and you're like, or I mean, if you're a woman, your husband, rather. Um, sorry, I always forget that I'm a dude, and not everyone in here is a dude. Um, and you see someone walking down the road, and you're like, eh, yeah, we could do that. Um, or <laughs> whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> I have fun up here. Uh, or like, you see something in the store, and you're like, I could, I could put that in my pocket, and like, no one would know. Like, like this guy, like, I don't even know if this cashier graduated high school. Like, he's not paying attention. It's not the most telling. I could take that, right? And, like, and, like, you want to, maybe just to prove that you can, or, like, you really want that thing. Or, like, you're in, like, trouble, and, like, you really just want to lie. Like, even if you don't have the guts to lie, like, you really want to, right? Jesus has the desire to break any of those commandments is the same as breaking them. So no one in your heart or if you, if you have succeeded in never uh, disobeying them externally, you, you've broken them in your heart. I guarantee it. Um, And we can boil it down even further, past the Ten Commandments. We can boil it down to two commands, right? Jesus says uh, all of God's commands in the Old Testament can be summed up in two things. One, love God with everything that you got. Every fiber of your being, love God. And the second one's just as strong as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, let me just be straight. Like, no one loves God with everything that they have. And that's very apparent because we sin, right? Like, we do things we shouldn't do. Like, no one loves God with everything, um, and furthermore, like, we definitely don't love other people with everything we got. Like, we might be running, like, 25% on a good day, right, <laughs> like, towards people that aren't us. Like, we don't ever love people uh, with everything that we got. Um, like, these standards, right, just looking at those two, boiling it all down, love God with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself, those standards are just impossibly high. Anyone ever felt that way, like, reading the Bible? You're like, man, like, this is just too hard. Like, there's no way. Like, why am I trying at all? Right? Just an impossibly high standards, and, and, and we don't do them well at all. And, and usually we don't think that this is a very big deal, right, because you hear a lot like, mm, we're humans, not a big deal. We're all human. Everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's going to sin, right? And disobeying God's commands doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we don't have a very good idea of what sin is. Right? Sin isn't just like, oh, man, I tried and I failed. No, like, sin is... I know what I should do, and I don't care. I don't care. I know God tells me to help this person. I don't care. I'm not gonna. I don't feel like it. 
I know God wants me to forgive this woman who hurt my feelings. I Screw her. I do not want to forgive her at all. Like, I don't care what God's commanded. Right? Or, or, and we can use that for every command. It's always us shaking our fist at God, giving him the finger, spitting in his face, and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you've said. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is rebellion against God. So whenever we break his commands, that's exactly what we're doing. It's that kind of rebellion. Whether or not you view yourself in that way, that's how God views your rebellion against him. That's how God views your sin. Every time that we fail to obey him perfectly, that's what he sees. Right? So that's pretty dark. <laughs> like, it's pretty dark stuff. Um, but even more so, right? Even whenever we get like a pretty decent look at sin, like God says something in the Old Testament that really ups the ante. Um, again, and it's in Deuteronomy 26, verse, or 27, verse 26, and I'll just paraphrase it to you. So God's given a ton of commandments, right? He's given, like, books with, like, like get blah, like the books of the law, like the first five books of the Bible. Moses has written them down. Here are all of God's commands. Here are the Ten Commandments plus a ton of others. And then God says this. You are under my curse if you don't obey everything perfectly. Think about that for a second. God says, I will curse you if you do not obey me 100% of the time in all things. Right? And that curses death. Right? Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That's where we get this idea of hell. Right? And, and, and furthermore, like in like Leviticus chapter 18 and towards the end of the book of Leviticus, we see God like going on tirades about how, he, how he's saying, like, I punish those who disobey me, but on the other hand, I reward the obedient. Right? I bless those who obey me, and I punish those and curse those who disobey me. There's always reward for the obedient and punishment for the disobedient. Right? So, so that kind of ups the ante again. So like we should really, really, really want to be obedient to God. Right? Um, like his, his commands, like it's not a joke anymore. It's not just like, a, like an option. It's like, no, I will curse you if you break my commands. And what's really scary about that is God always is good on his word. Like, that, that makes God terrifying whenever he promises curse to those who disobey him. He's good on his word, right? Those of you who, like, went to Sunday school class, like, he tells Adam and Eve, don't eat the, don't eat the fruit off the tree. If you do, you're going to have to die. And what do they do? They eat it, and he kicks them out of the garden immediately, and they both eventually die. He's good on his word. He tells Noah, I'm going to flood the world and kill everyone in it because they've rebelled against me so much except for you and your family and the animals that you save, right? And what does God do? He floods the whole earth, and he kills everybody. Right? He, tells, he tells Israel, stop worshiping false gods or I'm going to send you off into exile in a, in a country called Babylon and I'm going to kill the vast majority of you while you're there. And what do they do? They won't stop rebelling. So he sends them into exile. He always keeps good on his word. That makes him terrifying to me. Whenever he's given us these commands and he says, I punish those who disobey. Right? He's a righteous judge. He calls himself that all the time in the Old Testament. He says, I am the embodiment of justice, which means whenever you break my law, you commit a crime against me, and I will punish it. There can be no exceptions, right? Like, God can't just let it go. That was a Frozen reference for those of you who are in the room that know what's up. Right? God, like, he can't just let it go whenever we sin. He's righteous. He is a good judge. That is awesome. Did anyone see that light change? That was not scheduled or planned. Um, that just threw, that threw me off my groove pretty hard. I keep making Disney references. Um, right? So, that's pretty scary that God is, is that just, and he's that good on his word, right? That, that scares me, at least. Like, I, maybe that's just me. But what's worse is, is this. We all fall into the disobedient category. Everyone, everyone here, everyone you've ever met falls into the disobedient category. We haven't obeyed God. 
So, by extension, we're all under God's curse. So, nothing but punishment, right? Hell, eternal, conscious torment, separated from God, and all things good, punishment forever. That's what awaits for all of us. We're all in the disobedient category. And here's the thing that that really gets me. Even if we start obeying perfectly tomorrow, it does not change our category at all. Because we've disobeyed. We're in that category. Like, starting tomorrow does not erase what we've done today or in all the days past in our life. It doesn't work that way, right? Like, if you commit murder now, and then 50 years, whenever you're in your 70s, um, you get caught, like, the police finally catch up with you, right? I love these kind of movies. Like, the police finally catch up with you, and you're in your 70s. And then you stand before the judge, right? And you realize that it was wrong, that you shouldn't have killed that person whenever you were in your mid-20s. So you spend the rest of your life doing volunteer work, and you rack up, like, 100,000 hours of community service and, and good deeds and helping people. Whenever you stand in front of the judge, whenever you're 70, what's the judge going to tell you? You're guilty of murder. You're getting the death penalty. And you can say, but judge, I did 100,000 hours of community service. That's great. That's good. I'm glad you did that. It does not change the fact that you killed someone when you were in your 20s, right? So, like, good things don't erase the bad things that we've done. And we've all been disobedient, and God says he has to be just. I said all that to say this. That is the weight of God's commands. That is the weight of the law. It is crushing. We can't change our category. And even if we try to be obedient tomorrow, we'll fail again. That's crushing. And God damns the disobedient. So what are we supposed to do? What can we do, right? Like, that just makes me helpless whenever I really, like, think about that. And Paul is actually going to tell us something. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Um, this evening and a couple other spots. If you're new here to Revolution, take one of those Bibles home with you. Um, well, Paul's going to tell us something in Romans 3 that actually fits with our experience with God's commands crushing us. And he says this in Romans 3.19. He says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I never heard that growing up. Ever. Most Christians haven't heard that. That's all that the law is good for, is to show us how bad that we are. Obedience to God was never meant to save us. Ever. Right? God never in- intended us to be saved by obeying Him perfectly. That's not God's design for His commandments. I'll tell you what his design for the commandments are. And some of you don't view God this way, and I'm sorry to like burst your bubble. God wants us to look at his impossibly high standards and despair. That's the point of the law. God wants you to look at what he commands you to do and what the punishment for disobedience is and just be crippled by it. He wants us to have anxiety over this. He wants us to despair over his law. Right? And Jesus even, like, he even throws this standard up higher. He says that the standard is perfection. Matthew 5, 48, he says, you must be perfect, just like God is perfect. So no one can be made right, God, made right with God by doing good things. Because no one does good things all the time. No one obeys perfectly. God wants us to be beaten down by his demands. His demands for perfect righteousness. His demand for justice over us. He wants us to be beaten down to a place that we cry out for mercy. 
That's what he wants. Right? And there was actually this Puritan dude. This is pretty cool. Uh, Puritan guy, I can't remember his name. He wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And if you're into that kind of stuff, I highly recommend that you read it. Super good. And it's about these guys, and they're on this journey to heaven, the celestial city. Everything has like a, like a weird little metaphorical name. And uh, as these guys are on their trip, uh, one of them's retelling his story, how he came to be on the proper path to go to the celestial city, to go to heaven. And he says, I remember before I got on the path, he said, I'm walking and all of a sudden, this man flashes across, and he hits me over the head with a rod. He's like, and it almost knocks me out. He's like, and then I, I, I come to my senses, and I look, and here he is again, and he hits me over the head again, and he almost kills me. And then as I'm laying on the ground, I look up at him again, and he hits me again over the head. And he says, he finally cries out for mercy, and some stranger comes along and saves him from being hit again with this stick. And he said, who was that man that hit me with the stick? He said, that man was Moses. He said, and that stick was God's law. I thought that was awesome. Like God's law is meant to do that, to beat us nearly to death until we cry out for mercy. God's commands actually, they show us a couple of needs that we have. Right, the first one is, is this, right? God demands justice. He demands punishment against those who have broken his law. So we need, right? So that's his demand. So we need someone to satisfy God's justice for us. Because we can't. Because if we satisfy God's justice, we go to hell. And we want to avoid that, I think. Like, pretty sure that's a universal thing. We don't want to go to hell, right? So we need something um, that's going to take God's justice from us. So that's our need. And then the second thing, God demands that we be perfectly obedient, that we be completely righteous is the word that the Bible uses a lot in order to receive his blessing. But we're in the category of disobedient. He demands perfect obedience, so we need someone to make us righteous. We need someone to make us right with God. And often, we're still stupid enough to try to think that we're going to do this ourselves. Right? Like, there are still people here, I'm sure, who are going to go living their lives the rest of this week still trying to make themselves acceptable to God by obeying Him and just trying harder. I'm sure that that's going to happen. I hope that's not the case, but that's been my experience. Um, and let me ask you this. If you think, as a human being, that you're going to satisfy God's requirements, I just want to ask you this. What man can satisfy God? Like, what human being can satisfy God? If God is infinite, God is the standard of perfection, and he demands those things, his demands are too much for finite, sinful human beings. He's infinite, right? It's like we're a teaspoon of water whenever God demands an ocean, right? Like how can we ever satisfy God? Only God can satisfy God, which sounds very strange. Only God can satisfy God. So only God can set us free from punishment. Only God can make us right in his eyes. Only God can make us righteous. And what's incredible to me is that God says that's exactly what he is going to do. In, this, in all the instances he gives the law, and it's just meant to crush us as human beings. And then in the prophets, he reiterates his law, but then he always talks about, but one day... I'm going to send someone, like the Messiah is what the Old Testament calls it. I'm going to send the Messiah. And actually, there's, there's one prophet that says, the Lord himself is going to be his people's righteousness. And we see that this Messiah is going to suffer for things that he didn't do. Right? So we get this foreshadowing of God himself is going to fix things. That's where Jesus comes in. Right? Jesus, God made flesh. The second member of the Trinity, God the Son, comes to earth to do what we can't. To satisfy God the Father's demands. To save us. All right, so we're going to finish up that bit in Romans. We're going to go to 20, verses 21 through 28. 
So he says the law can't save us. It only shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So cat's out of the bag, right? Paul just tells us Jesus is going to be the one who satisfies God's demands of his law. Right? Jesus, how is he going to do that? How is Jesus going to do that? This is where like that second question what does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have to do with? Like, how does that save anybody, right? God demands that we be perfectly obedient, something that we can't do, that we've completely miserably failed at so far, but Jesus lives in complete, perfect obedience to God's commands, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted and tested in every single way that we are, and yet he was without sin, right? We see that reiterated a couple of other times throughout the New Testament, that Jesus was completely sinless, so that means Jesus never even, this is what's crazy, never even wanted to disobey God. Like right down to his heart, never desired to do anything, never outwardly did anything, never had a thought that he shouldn't, was completely obedient. He loved God with every fiber of his being, and he loved other people with every fiber of his being. He was actually righteous in God's eyes, and we are not, but he was. So what does he do? What is his perfect life? sinless life, perfect obedience to God the Father do, it satisfies God's demand for perfection. We can't do that. Jesus' life demands, or it, it, it satisfies God's demand on that. And then Jesus, right? Because God says, if you obey me perfectly, you live forever. You experience my blessing. You experience reward from me. And then Jesus, not deserving anything but God's blessing, offers himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He says, justice is demanded from my father. But I'll suffer their penalty. You say that they deserve hell, pour hell out on me on the cross. Right? Often we forget that. We think that Jesus just had his back ripped open and had his beard ripped out of his face and was nailed um, through his hands and feet and had a crown of thorns put on him. We think, that's awful. That's not even the tip of the iceberg for the cross of Christ. Jesus suffered hell on the cross. I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, literally, God poured out his punishment that we deserve as sinners on Jesus in our place. So Jesus satisfied God's demand for justice, right? This is like that judge that finally you have to stand before whenever you're 70, right? This is like you committed that murder when you were young, and you finally stand in front of the judge, and the judge sentences you to the, like, to the electric chair, and then climbs down from his judgment seat and goes to the chair for you. That's insane. 
so that justice could be served, so that someone will have paid what we deserve. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And then he died. Right? And often we forget that Jesus had to come back from the dead. Right? And that's because that's how God shows us that he is satisfied with what Jesus has done. What's he doing? He's saying, well, Jesus didn't actually sin. I'm satisfied with his sacrifice. I'm satisfied with his perfect righteousness in your place. So I'm going to raise him from the dead because he doesn't deserve to stay dead. Right? That's why it matters that Jesus lived, died, and came back from the dead. This is God showing us that he is satisfied with everything that Christ did. So Jesus did everything that we can't do. What man can go under God's wrath and survive? What man can live perfectly obedient to God? None of us. This is... He did it as a substitute for us. He did it in our place. He accomplished what we couldn't. And you can actually sum everything up with this verse. This is everything Christ did in one verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what some theologians call the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin on his back, takes it from us, and then gives us his perfect life to be judged, to be judged on when we die, if we will have faith in him. He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness. And God says that we receive all of this by faith. Right By faith alone in Jesus alone. Remember, faith is trusting God's promise about Jesus. And what is that? What is God's promise about Jesus? Jesus has done everything for you that you can't do. Trust him. He has satisfied me. You can't. But I am satisfied with what Jesus did. That's God's promise about Jesus. God says, if we trust that, if we put all of our hope in Jesus, we abandon all attempts of making ourselves right with God and trust Jesus, trust God's promise about Jesus that we're saved. God says to trust Jesus like a child, right? I have a, I have a niece, Natalie. I can give her anything and tell her, eat this, and she'll eat it. I could give her poison and tell her to eat it, and she will eat it, and she will die because she trusts me. She trusts everything that I say. God says, trust my promise like that. Full trust like a kid. Just trust me that I'm going to be good to my word about what my son has done. So trusting, putting our faith in Jesus is really us saying in our hearts, God, I trust you to be faithful to your word. I believe you. I know you'll be faithful. You know, the Apostle Paul actually sums this up really well in uh, the third chapter of Philippians, right? He says, I used to count all the things that I did. I used to count my obedience as something like that I could present to God. He's like, but I have thrown all of that away. I, I, I call it all garbage now. Right? I call it all dung. I, I, I empty my hands of it. I throw it away so that I can be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obedience to God, but so that I can be found with the righteousness of Jesus, which is perfection. He says, I empty my hands of everything that I think that I might be able to bring to God, and I cling to the cross of Jesus. That's faith. That's faith. The work has been done. God says to trust Him. That's it. Abandon yourself 
hold to Jesus. That's what faith is. And, but why is this important for us to know, right? So we explain the law, we explain how Jesus' death does all that, and his resurrection does everything for us. Why is this important for us to know? Well, first, most importantly, there is no other way to be saved. You can try to save yourself, and it's not going to go well for you. And you can try to be perfectly obedient and like present yourself to God as a good person, and um, it's not going to go well. Um, so there's no other way to be saved except through faith in Christ. But why do Christians, right, because I know a lot of people here are already believers. Why do Christians who already believe this need to be reminded of this? Why did I want you guys to know this so badly this evening? There are tons of reasons that we could do, but I have one big reason why this is important for us. As we live as believers in Jesus, as we live as followers of Jesus, we often forget the point of God's commands. We forget the point. We forget that we're saved by trusting God's promise about Christ and not our work. We forget that we're saved by what Jesus has done, not what we do. Right? And we begin to think that our, uh, whenever we forget that, we, we begin to think that our obedience is the determining factor in our salvation. Anyone else ever fallen into that pit? Fair enough. I'm the only one. It's good. Right? We think that our obedience is the determining factor in our salvation. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't obey God's commands. Don't hear that from me. That's not what I'm saying. We should obey Jesus if we love Jesus. He says that himself. If you love me, obey my commands. And if we really believe that Jesus has done all this for us, we should love him. So if we disobey him unrepentantly and don't care, we prove that we don't really know him. We don't really have faith in him. But our salvation does not come from moral performance. It does not come from being so good and so obedient. It comes from faith alone in Jesus' work alone. Right? But if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of that, then here's what's going to happen. And I've experienced this off and on throughout my, my four years of being a Christian. The law will crush you again and again and again if you forget this. You will have anxiety about your salvation. You will despair. Whenever you're laying in bed at night and you're thinking of all the things that you should have done differently throughout the day, and you begin to think that your salvation is dependent on how well you obey God, it'll drive you insane and the law will crush you again. You'll live in fear that you are not good enough for God because none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus is. This is why this is important. But if we lose sight of that fact, then we're going to live in constant fear. A self-focused fear. And it's going to lead you to despair. And if you end up like I was whenever I was 17, that kind of a fear led me to hate God. Led me to completely run. But here's the thing. Jesus died to free us from the weight of the law. Right? He died to set us free from the bondage of the law. We are now above the law, right? And I don't mean that we don't have to obey anymore, but rather we're freed from the weight of the law. What I mean is salvation by obedience. We're free from that. Like, this is the best news I've ever heard. Jesus wants us to know peace in him. Because we'll never find peace in our own obedience. Because deep down we know what kind of jacked up people that we really are. Deep down we know what a mess that I, I know what a mess I am. But if my hope is in Christ and what he's done, there's peace there. Jesus wants us, us to experience this peace because it's going to cause us to serve him more out of love 
pure love for him and what he's done instead of out of fear and attempts to save ourselves. He wants us to love him. He wants our hearts. All right, so this stuff is important because it causes us to fall in love with Jesus more every day. I know it sounds strange to some of you who have never heard about someone talk about being in love with Jesus. Um, but that's exactly what this belief that faith alone and Christ alone does is it makes you love him. And I say that because you're going to fail in your obedience every single day. You're going to fail somewhere every day. And knowing this drives us to put more hope in him. It drives us to put more trust in him. To love him more because he has done what I cannot. So God's commands that once damned me and, and gave me um, depression and anxiety, now all the power of the commands can do is make me love Jesus more. Because even as I fail, and I try, but I fail, I just love Christ more as I look at God's commands and say, I can't do that, but he can. <laughs> Makes me love him. So I want us to know these things, and I want, them to, I want us to keep these things in our hearts, that Jesus alone has accomplished everything for us, and trusting him saves, because it gives us hope. Again, we can't hope in ourselves, because we know what we really are, but we can hope in Jesus, because God never fails, and he always makes good on his word. Right, so if you're here this evening, and you don't trust Jesus, and you don't follow him, I've I, Pray all week that you would. I pray that you would. Jesus says, believe in him. Trust in him. Right, and I would recommend you don't delay. Like if this is making any sense or, or you got questions or something is triggering, don't delay. Like Paul says, today is the day of salvation. Um, you might not feel like this tomorrow. Um, don't, don't, don't put it off. So I... I say that to say this, if anyone here has any questions about what we've talked about or wants someone to pray with them or, or, or just wants to talk this over, um, come see me or anyone that's going to be on this stage after the service. Um, whenever we're done, come find one of us. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. But I, I want to remind you of this, and I'm not one for scare tactics because that's how I grew up, and it, again, made me hate God after some time. But I will say this because it's true. Apart from faith in Christ, you are still under the weight of the law. You're still under God's curse for breaking the law. And remember, as true as God is to his word about saving us by faith in Christ, he's just as true to his word for punishing those who are found not in Christ. And his demands have to be met. Perfect obedience and justice. And either you're going to meet those demands, or Jesus did. And you get to take your pick. All right, but God is extending you mercy, is what I'm getting at. But for those of us who are already Christians, right, I want us to take these truths to heart. And I want us to love God more. I want us to live without fear. Right? I, I want, even in our failure, to be driven to him more. right? Because, listen to me, you don't matter anymore. Which I know sounds really weird and nihilistic, but like whatever. Like, we don't matter. Think about that. Whenever you fail to obey God, you don't matter. Jesus does. And then instead of us becoming arrogant whenever like, we're succeeding in obeying, we still don't matter because that's not what saves us. How freeing is that? There is freedom in Christ. There is security in that. You can know that you're saved because you know Christ was perfect. So I want you to go and rest in that, and I want you to be at peace. God says he loves us in Christ. So whenever you feel like you just screwed up too much for God to forgive you or love you anymore, I want you to know this, that as long as God the Father loves Jesus, he loves you because by faith you are found in Christ. 
So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. As long as the Father loves the Son, the Father loves you. You can rest in that. That's his promise, and we can take him at his word. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us more than we deserve. Thank you for giving us Christ. Thank you for giving us salvation by faith, not by works, because for any of us that have tried, we know the desperation that comes with it. Father, I pray that this message would, would, I pray your Holy Spirit would use this and and bring someone to faith, bring someone to a place where they believe. Um, God, and for those of us who do believe, I pray your Holy Spirit would just comfort us with this message that it's not about us, but it's all about you, and it's always been all about you, and it's never been about us. I thank you for that, for taking, for freeing us from the weight and burden of the law. God, I pray that we wouldn't take this as an excuse to disobey you, but that we would use this as fuel to just want to obey you because we love you so much. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.